There's a man by the name of Larry Walters. He was a, among the very few people who turned their dreams into reality. At least it seems like it's a few sometimes. He was a truck driver, but his lifelong dream was to fly. So he graduated from high school. He joined the Air Force in hopes of becoming a pilot. But unfortunately, his poor eyesight kept him from becoming a pilot, so he just had to work on the planes. But when he was finally discharged and was just driving the truck around, he still had that dream. He wanted to drive or he wanted to, to fly the plane. And um, all he could do was sit in the ground and watch the guys fly the fighter planes up in the air. So one time he got an idea. And so he uh, went out and he got some balloons. Not those little cheap things you pick up at the store, but the weather balloons. He got 45 weather balloons. Those things are substantial. They'll go up in the air. And he filled 45 weather balloons with helium and attached them to a lawn chair. Just a regular lawn chair that you have out in your backyard. Just attach him to the lawn chair, lawn chair and he t- tied the lawn chair to the uh, bumper of his Jeep. And uh, when he was ready, he's sitting on the lawn chair, he got himself some snacks, he got himself uh, uh, some, something to drink, and he armed himself with a BB gun. His idea, his plan was that he would uh, release the anchor of the Jeep and float up into the sky. He figured a couple hundred feet, and then he'd float around in the sky for a little while on the lawn chair and be able to experience flying. And uh, as he needed to, he'd take the BB gun and he would shoot out some of the balloons one at a time and begin to gradually descend off there. Well, the best made uh, plans don't always work out quite that way. And so what happened was when he dislodged the or took off the anchor for the lawn chair, the uh, lawn chair didn't shoot up a couple hundred feet. It actually shot up a few thousand. And it didn't just uh, float up there. It shot up like it came out of a cannon. He just went up with, <laughs> and so he was uh, high enough that he was a little nervous about shooting out the the uh, weather balloons, and so he just kind of sat it out there, riding around in the in the air. Well, he was eventually passed by a airliner, and they saw this man sitting on a lawn chair with the balloons, as he's floating around a couple of thousand feet up in the air, and so they uh, they called it in, and so well then uh, the Navy dispatched a helicopter to him. They were going to try and uh, do something. Well, every time the helicopter got close to where Larry was at, the uh, blades of the helicopter would push the balloons away so they could never get close enough to him to help him. So when they finally found a way, they got above him. They dropped a, a line down to him and were able to, to bring him up that way, got him on the helicopter. When he was landed on the ground, he uh, was promptly arrested. <laughs> and as he was being hauled off to, to, the, to the authorities... The um, police, uh, one of the reporters asked him on the ground, he says, what made you do it? And he says, well, when you have a dream, you just can't sit around. (laughs) So he didn't sit around. He went out and did some things. Well, there's some things we can do to accomplish what it is that God wants us to to accomplish. And we want to make sure that they're the right thing and not attaching weather balloons to a a chair and being uh, taken up. We were, um, some of you may, may know, if you're on Facebook at all, we, you probably saw some of our thing, that we were out on, uh, at a Pocono re- resort. We uh, went out there with uh, the family to give us all one more time together before Christian gets ready to, to ship off. And we were, uh, as we were there, this is the indoor water park. And it was kind of neat because the indoor water park, parts of the water park went outside. And at nighttime when it was, it was dropping down, it got down into single digits at nighttime some. And uh, we were still riding around on these water things, and the water was getting cold because it was going into the tube outside, and we'd feel the cold air. And we came off there sometimes just shivering, even though the building itself was pretty warm. 
so we had some had a good time with with some of that. But I was beginning to think about uh, as you're standing in line, you know, you have a lot of time to look around and see what's going on. And there's a lot of lifeguards in there because people can drown in three feet of water. Amazing, but they can. I just think you know, stand up. <laughs> but anyway, that that can happen. So they they have the lifeguards there. You know, lifeguard. I think was one of the the best positions that epitomizes what we are to, talking about. That's a place where you have to be ready all the time. And you never know when it is going to be that you're going to be called upon to go in there and to save somebody. And one of the things that they did around this resort was they had these uh, uh, babies, uh, little little baby dolls, and they would throw them down the chute of the, of the different rides that were on, and they would pop out and they'd be floating around. And uh, they would do this to train some of the new people that were in there. And as soon as they saw the baby floating, they, were, they had to jump into the water and save the fake baby. If they didn't, you know, they could talk to, I guess, or something like that. Well, one of the times we were standing in line, there was a, a, one of the employees who came on down to shoot. We didn't know he was an employee. But one of the employees came down to shoot, and uh, as he came in, he came off the raft, and he went down into the water, and he just stuck his hand up and kind of flailed around a little bit. And there was a, a lady that was over there, a young lady that was over there, and she jumped in the water to, to save him. And, of course, he got up, and he was all fine. It was all good. But uh, what a place. I mean, you've got you to gotta stand there, and you've got to be sharp all the time. And most of the time, nothing happens. But you've got to, be, you've got to stand there. You've got to be sharp. You've got to be watchful. You've always got to be ready. Every time somebody comes down to shoot, you've got to say, do I need to save them? Are they okay? And thinking that all, all the time. Sometimes the mundane in life gets us to a place where we get bored with it. And we're not being trained. We're not going through the process of what we need to do. We looked at a number of people so far in this section of the series. We looked at Joseph and we saw how even when he was in a prison, even when he was as a slave, he was still doing the things that were getting him ready. And he kept doing them with all diligence. And when the day came and he was promoted, he was put in that place, he was ready. Daniel, the same thing. He was made ready. And when the opportunity came, when the dream came and people were dying, he stood up and said, I'll take care of that. I can, I can do that one. We looked at Abraham. We saw that Abraham was not going through the training process very well. He was failing at the training process. And uh, he, was, he was successful in some areas that didn't, weren't really in his calling. But the areas that was his calling, he wasn't doing so well. Finally, he got to a place where he did. Then the baby was born. And God called upon him to sacrifice the baby. And he was ready for that. Last week, we looked at Saul. And Saul was doing good things up until the time he got put into the position of king. And when he got put into the position of king... He stopped doing all those good things. He started doing things as, as, as he saw fit, as he saw, well, I'll do what God says, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it how I don't really think that's so important that we kill all the animals. I think we can leave some of them around. And he, he didn't do that. As we got through here, we saw that there's three things we do to get ready. First off, we learn. Secondly, we practice. And third, we train. We learn, we practice, and we train. We learn by hearing the word. We learn by studying the Word. We learn by reading the Word. We practice by doing the Word and praying the Word. Make sure you don't pray on doubt and unbelief. You pray the Word. How do we train? We train by meditating on the Word. Meditate on the Word. Don't just take it in, but after you took, took it in, after you read it, after you studied it, now meditate on it. These are the things that we need to do. You need to talk the Word. You need to get out there and, and say the things that you're, that you're learning. Talk to other people about it. We weaken ourselves by thoughts of worry, prayers that beg, and 
talking fear and doubt. Those are the things that are where will weaken you. It's like eating fast food. Like eating donuts. Those things aren't going to help you out a whole lot. We need to, to stay with what God has us to do. We're going to turn over to Acts chapter 9. We're going to see that just because I run into a difficult situation, just because I run into a, a problem, <clears throat> does not mean I'm in a training day. Put in your uh, outline for a title for this one, Training Days Aren't. I hear a lot of Christians sometimes think, well, I went through this thing and God was just getting me ready or God was doing... Sometimes it's not the case at all. There are sometimes you have gone through some very tough things and it's just because of your own disobedience, your own partial obedience, your own stupidity, your own being at the wrong place, not listening to the Spirit of God. Sometimes we put ourselves in that and there's no training in that at all. Just get out of that alive and get going. We're going to look at a situation like that in Acts chapter 9. In verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Still breathing threats and murder. He continued to do that. That doesn't sound very good. doesn't sound like he's doing a very good thing. Would you, would you say so? And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, who were Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And we talked about this when we went through the book of Acts. And Paul uh, expounded on this when he talked about his own, he related his own experience to people. That most times when they arrested people for being a Christian and brought them to Jerusalem, they just did the men. But Paul was extremely zealous. He not only went after the men, he went after the women. He went after the children even. He went after them all. And that's not what everybody did. He went over, over and above. In verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, this is not a training day. This is not a day he was trained for. This is the day that he could die on. This is the day when God says, I'm finally fed up with what it is that you're doing. Either you change or I'm going to deal with you. He's not supposed to be in this place. One of the things that the Lord said to him was, it's hard to kick against the goads. That means that God had been prodding him, leading him in a different direction all this time. And he didn't listen. And so since he didn't listen to that, God is doing it this way. He was supposed to have been listening before. He didn't. There are times, folks, that God has been prodding us, moving us along, says, I need you to get over here. I need you to do this over here. And we're not doing it. And then finally he gets a little stronger. He got real strong with Paul. I'm convinced that Paul doesn't respond here properly. Paul's a dead man. Because he's attacked his church. He's attacked, attacked his kids. He's not supposed to. Paul has another call in his life, but he's not listening to that call. Now, here's the thing about it. Paul is doing good things, or spiritual things. He is studying the Word. He became even a Pharisee. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was uh, doing things he thought for God. But God says, you're going against me. Just because we are doing things for God doesn't mean we're in the right place. We could have the wrong heart. 
wrong attitude, doing the wrong thing. And we're in the, we're in the wrong place. We're not going to get blessed for what we do. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. Paul needed to change. He needed to get out of this that he was doing. Fortunately, he, said, he answers, right, Lord, what do you want me to do? So he says, well, go into the city. From there, I'm going to tell you what to do. <clears throat> so he does. I put this in your outline for you if you didn't get it already. Just doing godly things is not preparation. Just doing godly things is not going to prepare you for what's ahead. You've got to do what God says to do. You've got to be where God says to be. That's what we need to, to have going on. Verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him out into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now understand, God is master at communication. There is no one better at communicating than God. God can communicate what takes us paragraphs and pages to, to describe in sentences. In just a few words, he can say things that we, we sit there and, oh, wow, what did he do? Most of his callings that he gives to people are very short. He says to him, he's going to bear, he's, going to be, uh, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Who's the priority there? Gentiles. It's first in the list. Of all the people that, that Paul ministered to, who did he minister to the most? Gentiles. After that, who's his second priority? Kings. Who's his third? The children of Israel. Now, he's got these words. He will be told these words. And you will see that Paul will let these words govern everything that he does. Now, when he goes into a city, he always preaches to the Jews first. But as soon as they reject him, he moves right on to the Gentiles. And he said, that's fine that you all rejected. I'm going over here to the Gentiles. And he took opportunities to minister before kings. And he ministered before kings. He did exactly what God had called him to do. But he was a chosen vessel. Just because you're a chosen vessel doesn't mean you're in the right place. Paul was a chosen vessel, but he was doing the wrong things. And we had to get him, get him right. So Ananias is sent. And Ananias had to be made ready for this too. How many of y'all know he went through some training to get himself ready for this? Because this was a tough thing for him to do. So when he had received food, where do we leave off at? 15? Jump too far down. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered his house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. 
So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Paul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? And Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. All these years, Paul was getting himself ready. All these years that Paul was studying the word of God did not get him ready. And he was not being strengthened. But when he got filled with the Spirit, because Ananias was sent first off that he would receive, receive his sight and that he would be baptized in the Spirit. You think Ananias left that house without the, with both things being done? Paul got filled with the Spirit. It's important to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to embark on anything with God. You need to have that. And he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I put in your outline some things about Paul's calling. First off, it was to receive the revelation of the New Covenant. Paul was going to receive the revelation of the New Covenant. He was going to be pulled aside. And Paul talks about the story later on, how he was called up into heaven, whether he says in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He says, but I was called up into heaven. He, he relates it as a third person. <clears throat> but he was called up into heaven and given this revelation. And he came down and he taught this revelation to us. What, what happens after the cross? What happens after the Spirit of God is poured out? What changes go on? So he was to receive the revelation of the new covenant. He was a, as a teacher, he was to teach this revelation to all people, especially the Gentiles. He was a teacher to the Gentiles, kings, and then the children of Israel. As an apostle, he was to establish churches and train leaders. And he went into places and he established churches and he trained leaders. Paul's motivation for where to go was where has the gospel not gone? And he would go there. And after he completed and finished all the places where the gospel had gone, he then began to set his sights on places where the gospel had already been sent, but he hadn't gone yet. But not until he first accomplished that. He was to endure hardship and persecution. And surely he did. He endured a lot of hardship and persecution. And to testify before kings. These are the things that are in the purpose for, for Paul, what he was to do. Your training will get you ready for your purpose. Your practice will get you ready for your purpose. In order for that to be accomplished, you must know what is your purpose. You've got to know what your purpose is. Why has God put you on this earth? What is God expecting you to accomplish? You cannot compare your purpose with someone else's. Well, my purpose isn't as good as this one is. You cannot do that. Your purpose is your purpose. You cannot say, God, you called me to something that really doesn't matter. God says, if God says, I need you to do this, then guess what? He needs you to do it. Make sure you get it done. And do it to the best that you can. Don't just do it half-heartedly. Do it all the way. Give it your all. In verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now he's in the city, and he needs to get away. Now think about this. There is someone in the church who has a house with a window 
on the wall. Think about being this person. You're this person, and you go shopping for a house, and you have the option of, of buying a house that's over by the, where the shops are. And you're, you're going, you look at these houses, and some, nah, I just don't feel that the Spirit of God wants us to, to buy that house. It's not the house we're supposed to buy. So you keep on going and looking, and you find something else, and there's a, something else that has a nice backyard, and nice neighbors. Man, this looks like a nice house. I like the, I like the spacious closets, you know, and it's got the jacuzzi in the back there, and central air conditioning. This would be a great place. To, and the Spirit of God doesn't say that you should buy that house. And then you come to this little hole in the wall, which really is a hole in the wall. <clears throat> and, and you come to this one, you're looking around, man, this is just a hole in the wall. And the Spirit of God says, buy it. But I like the other house better. The Spirit of God says, buy it. I want you in this house. And so you buy the house, you have no idea why. It's all the time you're living there. I like that other house better. Why did you ask us to buy this house? I don't know if all that went on, but you know, it can, it can go on. And all of a sudden the day comes when Paul comes to your city gets born again, filled with the Spirit, and then needs to escape the city. And they say, Joe, didn't you buy that house? You've got a window on the wall. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Can we let somebody down? We sure can. Let's go. Can you imagine that? God set all that up beforehand. I remember a story Brother Keith Moore was telling us one time when we listened to, to one of the things he was, he was teaching. <clears throat> and uh, they had, uh, he was married before he went to Ramah. And the Spirit of God moved on both of them to, to go out to Ramah and to, to go to school there. They didn't know that their one-year, two-year program was going to end up them being there for over 20. But they, they headed on out there. And they got this, this apartment that was in a really bad section of the city. Of, of, so there are bad sections in, in Tulsa. It's not all churches. There are some really nasty sections in the city of Tulsa. And they had a place there. And he said that when we first moved into the apartment, we were uh, welcomed to the community by someone coming over and siphoning out the gas in our tank. And uh, so they had no, no gas to get around with. He said, fortunately, uh, I guess uh, her parents had come down. They refilled the, the tank with gas and got them some food. And, I mean, they, were, they had nothing. And uh, they eventually got out of that place and they got into another apartment. I think they got into the student housing or someplace closer to the school. And it was much better. The sirens weren't going off at night. You didn't have to be afraid about, you know, walking out the door. He said one time they walked out the door in the section they're in, and they were greeted by police officers in bulletproof vests saying, get back in the house. So they went back in the house. <laughs> That's, uh, they weren't going to leave the, the place that day. But they eventually, uh, when he graduated from school and he uh, was doing things with uh, Brother Hagen and doing things at the school, and they eventually got to a place to uh, buy a house, and I'll skip all, most of the story for you, but they, they bought this house. It was a dream house. It had everything in it that they would ever have wanted in a house. It was a gorgeous house. And this was, uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 16 years after they had gone to Raymond. They moved into this house. And after they uh, bought this house and moved into this house, it came up in the spirit and says, check out the history of this house. And so he looked up the history of the house, found out that this, the house was commissioned to be built the very week they agreed to go to Raymond that cool <laughs> and, it was, and it was a house that had everything in it that they wanted I'll tell you what God will do some stuff like that when you put things in motion and you obey and do what God says things happen and you may not know about it for 10, 12, 14 years down the road but things begin to happen I love that story think about that story every once in a while
But here it was, this man has a house by the, well, well, his family has the house on the wall with the window. You can let him down and get him out. And save Paul's life. What do you think happened when, when this man gets the, this man, this woman, whoever it is that, that bought this house, when they get to heaven and God's handing out some awards for things, you, you obeyed me, bought that place so we could lower Saul uh, down the, the window and save his life. And, and do all that. You have a hand in all the things that Paul did. Wow. Just because you bought the right house, huh? You ever think about stuff like that? But somebody had to buy the house. If it was not somebody who, if it was a Jewish person who was after Paul, that's not a good one to, to have the house. Someone else had it. Where do we leave off at? Verse 26. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So they sent him far away, you know, going out there, get it, let things cool down. And so he stayed out there for a while, and that's where we think he probably received the revelation of the New Testament, the things that he wrote about. Going down to chapter 11, verse 19, there were some other things that happened while he was over there in Tarsus. <clears throat> now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now here's the problem. What did Jesus say when he departed? Go and preach the gospel to all men. Who did he say to go to first? Go to Jerusalem, to, and then to all Judea, and then... Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So basically, they're supposed to go to the Jews, to the mixed race of the Jews, and then to the Gentiles who had no Jewish blood in them at all. But what were they doing? Preach the word to no one but the Jews only. Why do you think that's in there? To let us know that the Gentiles were not being preached to. Now, in the verses we just read before, whom did God call to reach out to the Gentiles? Paul. Where's Paul? It's in Tarsus. What's he doing? Training. Practicing. Getting ready. He's got a tough job ahead of him. He's got to be ready for it. Can't just jump in on that. But some of the men were from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. But when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And Barnabas departed for Saul to seek, or for Tarsus to seek Saul. What do you think prompted Barnabas to go after Saul? Now, Barnabas has already had some interaction with, with Saul. When he, before, he actually spoke good of him. They had some, some time to spend together. Paul probably shared with him the word that he had and who he was going to be ministering to. So if Barnabas comes in, and Barnabas has a heart for the Gentiles too, and if he comes in and he sees we're only preaching to the Jews, he may have been quickened on the inside of him. Remember Saul? Which, who's, his, who's he called to? He's called to the Gentiles. We need, to get, we need to get him out here. 
Because we need to start preaching to some of the Gentiles. We need to go get somebody who's got a heart for that, who's got a calling for that. So Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So he brings them back, and he brings them back to, to Antioch. And then for a whole year, all they do is he makes tents, and they, uh, they teach in the synagogues on the Sabbath for a whole year. Are we accomplishing what we wanted to do? Not yet. But we're practicing, we're training, and we're getting ourselves ready. We're doing what, what God... It's a whole lot better than what Paul was doing before, isn't it? Verse... Uh, we're going to turn on down to chapter 13. We're actually going to go one verse before that in verse uh, 25 of chapter 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Their ministry was they were sent down to there because there was a word that came that famine was coming. And so they uh, took up an offering. They brought it on down. And, and Barnabas and Saul were the ones who had delivered that. When they came back after fulfilling that ministry, that they filled the ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So they got a little of a rapport going on with John. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. <clears throat> Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to be Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we're separating Barnabas and Saul for the work to which they were called. They were called to a, to a work. The calling was on them. But now he says separate. This is the thing that people don't always understand. And Brother Hagin used to drill this into us. Just because you're called doesn't mean it's time for you to be separated. There's a preparation time. There's a time you need to get ready. And you need to do the things you need to do to get ready. God's patient. If it takes you 25 years like it took Abraham to get ready, he'll wait 25 years. If it takes you 40 years like it took Moses on the backside of the wilderness, he'll wait 40 years. If it takes you less time than that, great. God's patient. If you never get there, fine, he'll move on to someone else. He's never stuck. Get yourself ready. Well, they got themselves ready. And so the word came. Separate now. Now it's the time. They've been prepared. They're ready. Now it's time for them to move into this ministry. So separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. They sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Same guy they took and taken to Jerusalem who was a relative of Barnabas. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was the, with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, it's one thing when you have just a regular old person who shows up and tries to mess with you. But now you've got a sorcerer. Someone who's dipping into the black magics. Things like that. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and fraud and you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. I don't think he understood about political correctness. He probably got a few things wrong there. 
Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What, what the devil sends to try and discourage you, what the devil sends to try and confuse people about what it is you're doing, if you handle it right, if you're trained up, if you're practiced, when the devil throws these things at you, you can handle it the way that God taught you to handle it. And what the devil meant to stop you will actually be used to help you. And that's what we see here. The poor counsel believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, also astonished at how he handled his sorcerer. He uh, put him uh, down pretty quick. But when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John got scared. And his mom lives in Jerusalem, so he went home to mom. That's why he's uh, going over there to Jerusalem. You can find that in other places in the Word of God, that his mom lived in Jerusalem. and So he ran home to mom. Paul was not very impressed with that. John was, uh, could have been prepared more. He, uh, he ran off. That's not a good thing to be doing. Verse uh, 42, jump on down to 42 of the same chapter. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine that? You uh, have a great uh, meeting, and then people go around, they talk about it. Almost the entire city came to meet in this one place. <clears throat> you all know they won't fit. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Man, they didn't come when we were teaching. They didn't come when we were pre preaching. Why are they coming when these Paul and Barnabas guys come? And they got filled with envy. Instead of being glad that the city is being won over, they're filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. We did our responsibility. We came to you guys first. You guys rejected it, so we're going on to the Gentiles. So that's what I'm called to anyway. <clears throat> for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. He's, he's going over what it is that God has said. Didn't mention the king's part, but I've set you as a light to the Gentiles. And we're going to do that. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Gentiles are glad. Can you imagine being a part of a group of people who, when the preachers come into town, say, well, you're a Gentile, we're, we're not talking to you. Because who did they teach? The Jews only. Barnabas saw this as a problem. We've got to fix this. We're supposed to be teaching Gentiles, too. It goes against Paul, and we've got two of us now. And now we're going out there, and we're, we're teaching Gentiles. So the Gentiles here, hey, we've got people that don't want to just teach Jews the Word of God. They want to teach us. They're glad. They were glad about this. This is all right. So, so when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, they came to a place and they saw great hunger. But then they also found great opposition. But they followed the direction that God had given them. And they stayed with the purpose. But every place, we're not going to go through all the book of Acts, but if you go through, if you've read it recently, if you, you, you understand that Paul, Paul, every place he went, every single place he went, he'd go in there and he'd teach them the word of God and then the people would come in, the Jews, Judaizers they called them, and they would come in and they'd stir up the crowd. If you keep on going from this chapter, you're going to see the next chapter, they go into a place and they are so impressed with Paul and Barnabas and the miracles that were being done and the word that was being taught, so impressed with it all, that they set them up as gods. And, and, and they had to restrain them from worshiping the, Paul and Barnabas. Had to restrain them. No, 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 you can't worship us. No, no, no. And then just a little while later, they're ready to kill them. That's how fickle some people are. That's what they uh, experienced a lot of times. If we're going to get ourselves ready, We've got to make sure that we're not like Abraham and we're getting strong in the areas where we're not called in and staying weak in the areas where we are called. See, the, the devil doesn't care if you get strong in other areas. He wants to keep you weak in the area that you're calling. If he keeps you weak in the area of your calling, if he keeps you in strife in the area of your calling, he can tie you up. And he feels like he can stop the work of God. So that's what he wants to try and do. Don't let that happen. Got to make sure that you you still stay in the area of preparation. I gave you five things here to focus on. Five things to be in preparation. You need to be. You've got to be focused on these kind of things all the time. First off, walk in love. First thing you've got to do. Because as Christians, we are all supposed to walk in love. How do you walk in love? Go over 1 Corinthians 13. You can rest, look at the rest of the Word of God too. But certainly that gives a nice summary. Love is patient, love is kind, long-suffering, all these things that it is. Make sure that you are walking in that way. Walk in love. You should never take a day off from this. Always be walking in love. Yeah, but that person just gets under my skin. doesn't matter. Then that's a, that's a good person to be around. Hang around that person all that you can. Because if they're getting under your skin, they're exposing your weakness. And the only way that you get that weakness taken care of is how? Focus on it. Got to focus on it. If you're going to go into a gym and work out some things and you have weak arms, it doesn't do you any good to work your legs. You got weak arms, what you got to do? You got to work on your arms. You can work on your legs too, but you got to work on those weak areas. Whatever it is that you do, you got to work on the areas that you're weak on. You got to bring them up. You got to get them stronger. You have a car, and your car has four tires, and one of them is really bad, and the other three are pretty good, and you get enough money to replace one of them. Which one should you do? <laughs> the weak one, right? Why would you replace one that you would replace the weakest one? That's the one that's giving you the most trouble. That's the one that's the, the focus on. Focus on the weak areas. You've got to get them stronger. You've got to build them up. 
Walk in love. If you've got people that aggravate you, don't say, well, they're just my thorn in the flesh. They're just my weakness. No. Make them your strength. Get all you can get out of the benefit of that one. See, what happens a lot of times is that you get a neighbor, you get a co-worker, and they just, they're, they're driving your batty. They're just getting under your skin. And so what do we do? We leave the job. We go to another department. We move out of the neighborhood. <laughs> Why? I just want to avoid the problem. No. Don't do, don't do that. The reason they're causing you trouble is because there's a problem in you. So fix it. Fix you. Get yourself strong. Get yourself going. Walk in love. There is never a good excuse for not walking in love. Not a single one. Ask Jesus about it sometime. Is there ever a good reason for me not to walk in love? What do you think he's going to say? <laughs> he's going to say no. So if you're going to prepare, you've got to every day walk in love. Now that doesn't just mean to people at work and people in the neighborhood. It also means your spouse. It also means your kids. It also means relatives. You've got to walk in love to them too, right? Walk in love. Walking in love does not always mean nice. Was Jesus always nice? Sometimes he was downright firm. But he was walking in love. You walk in love. Don't do things out of anger. Don't do things out of frustration. Do things because you seek after God. God, what should I do in this situation? How should I handle this? How do I help them out? How do I get them better? You don't always make somebody better by brushing under the rug what it is that they're doing. Sometimes you've got to deal with it. Walk in love. It's a whole lot different between just going to somebody and getting in somebody's face and being nasty about it and speaking to them in such a way they can help them. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in love. That's the first thing. You've got to focus on that. Walk in love. Here's the second one. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Where the Holy Spirit leads you to go, do it. That's training. That's practicing. When the Holy Spirit says, go shop here, go shop there. When the Holy Spirit says, don't go to the bank today. Don't go to the bank today. Just don't do it. Follow His leading. Whatever it is He says to do. The Holy Spirit says, I need you to study the Word of God on this. Get yourself strong in this area. Don't put it off to tomorrow. If He's telling you now, do it now. Get yourself ready. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Pursue your calling. Now, in order to do that, you've got to know what your calling is. It is not someone else's job in the body of Christ to tell you what your calling is. Don't ask them. It is God's job to tell you. Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. God will tell you what your calling is. It won't work for you if you listen to someone else. Because when t things get tough, but you said I was called to this. Uh-uh. You've got to hear it from God. But once you know what your calling is, pursue it. Pursue your calling. And there's all kinds of callings that we, we have. Word of God talks about a whole, whole bunch of them. Not all of them are preaching and teaching and laying hands on people and singing. and uh, All those are good callings. There are some that are uh, helps areas. They have lots of helps areas. They're, they're, they're valuable. They're huge. You know what happens if people are not in helps ministries? The people who aren't in helps ministries do the helps ministries. They're that important. They need to get done. Whatever it might be, pursue your calling. 
Here's the fourth one. Employ your gifts, your giftings. Employ your giftings. Now, again, you've got to know what your giftings are. It's not for someone else to tell you what your giftings are. It's a whole lot easier if somebody just come up and say, hey, you're gifted in this, 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 and this. All right, I'll go in there and do that. No, listen to God. Go after God. God, where are my giftings at? They're going to show up for you. You're going to find some things. That it's just easier for you to do stuff in this area. And that's a gifting. Go after it. Employ your giftings. Whatever your calling is, you have been gifted according to that calling. So if you don't employ your giftings, you're not getting yourself ready. You've got to employ your giftings. So walk in love, follow the Holy Spirit's leading, pursue your calling, employ your giftings. And here's the last one. Be consistent. Don't be sporadic. Be consistent. Make sure God knows he can count on you. If God says to do something, you'll do the same thing each time. Be consistent. It's, it's a whole lot easier to be inconsistent. Well, I'm having a bad day today. No. Christians aren't supposed to have bad days. Now, when we were going through the book of Daniel. I had this in there. We didn't, uh, we didn't run into this one minute. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. You can write it down. It's not in your outline. <clears throat> it says, remember Daniel, how well Daniel did? Verse uh, 3 then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors of satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. An excellent spirit was in him. That means there's a spirit on the inside of him that drove him to excellence. What is excellence? Now, when we were going to Ramah and we got in there first year, Ramah had a dress code. I don't know what they have now, but I know when we were there first year, they had a dress code. Dress code was this. For the guys, you had to wear dress shoes, dress pants, and a dress shirt. And a dress shirt was a dress with a, was a shirt with a collar. That was it. They defined it for you, and you had a belt. You didn't show up at school without a belt. You had a collared shirt, no pullover shirts with no collar. It'd send you home. Dress pants, no jeans. Dress pants, dress shoes. What happens if you don't have any? You better go out and get, it, get some. That's what you need to do to show up at school. You need to have that. That was the requirement. The ladies, um, I don't exactly remember all this. I wasn't a lady. I didn't really have any purpose at all for reminding, remembering what it was. I'm pretty sure that the ladies had to either wear a skirt or a dress, blouse, things like that, dress shoes. Uh, they were not allowed to wear pants, at least then. I don't know that it's changed. Uh, now, that was the requirement. But then Brother Hagen would come right back in after the requirement was given. He would come back in and he would tell us the expectation. He says, no, I expect you to be dressed up. He said, we don't require it. He says, but I expect it. And dressed up for him was suit, tie, all deal. So you had the requirement and had the expectation. So it was, it was interesting to watch the difference between first year and second year. When we came in first year, everybody met the requirement. Dress pants, collar shirt, belt, dress shoes. First year I walked into the pastor's class. That was the group I was in. 400, just over 400 people in the pastor's class when we started. Every single one of the people in that room that were guys Every 
I don't mean most of them. I don't mean 99%. I mean 100%. Every single one showed up with dress pants, dress shirt, tie, and either a sport coat or a suit. Every single one were dressed up like that. And it stayed that way for the whole year. Why? Because Brother Hagen said, this is what you ought to do. This, this, is the expect, this is the requirement. Here's the expectation. So what happened was, I didn't like wearing ties when I was in high school. I went off to college. I still didn't need to wear ties. I didn't like wearing ties. I went off to Rama. My parents uh, were dropping me off at the airport one time. I owned two suits. That's all I owned. I owned two suits. I had one of them on. I was in the airport and had the suit on. Not a, not a dress shirt, tie. I had a suit on. It was a navy blue pinstripe suit. I was wearing that in the airport. And one of the persons pulled my, my mom over. She told me the story later on. She pulled him over. She said, how do you get your son to wear a tie and a suit? They said, we have no idea. We sent him off to the school. He came back wearing suits and ties. I don't know what happened. See, because there's a requirement and there's expectation. In everything that you do, there's a requirement and there's expectation. If you just me make the requirement is a spirit of excellence in you. If you just make the requirement is a spirit of excellence in you. No. What does a person do who has a spirit of excellence? More than is required. More than is expected. That's what they do. If it's expected that you're going to be at work on time, what does a person with a spirit of excellence do? Show up early, right? If it's expected that you work until whatever time you're supposed to be done, what's a person of excellence do? Stays longer if it's needed. If it's expected that you get so much done, what's a person of excellence decide to do? I bet you I can get more. And they, because you have that spirit of excellence. It drives you to do more than what is required. And if you study the life of Daniel, you'll see that this, this is a man who expected him to do more. So your job has people, and you all know if you have people there, and they just show up on time. If something happens in traffic, what happens? They're late. They're late. <laughs> How many have ever been late for an appointment? Most times people are late for an appointment is because they expect everything to go perfectly. And so if it's only five minutes away, I only need to leave five minutes before. If it's ten minutes away, I leave ten minutes before. What's the person of excellence do? It should take me ten minutes to get there, so I'll leave fifteen minutes. I'll leave twenty minutes before. Well, then you're wasting time. No, you bring stuff along. You get there, I mean, ten minutes of prayer, you can do a lot in ten minutes of prayer. You can do some things. I used to bring some books with me. I just worked at a pizza place. But I made sure. I, they, they wanted me there at, four, at uh, 5 o'clock. I'd show up at 4.30. If they wanted me there at 4.30, I'd show up at 4 o'clock. And I'd sit out there. And, you know, I don't have to clock in. If you want me, I'm here. But, you know, they had overtime and they had labor issues to, to walk, work with. And so you didn't just click, clock in because you wanted to. But I'm here. I brought some books to read. I'd sit out there in the, in the lobby and read a book. Get myself ready for what I had to do for school. 
And when they wanted me, but sometimes you get on there, oh, I'm so glad you came early. So glad you came early. We're behind. Can you, can you clock in early? Sure. Got an extra 30 minutes of work. That's okay. Now, see, what happened was at, at, uh, when things weren't going as well, you have a night that wasn't as, as busy, guess who they sent home? The people were not quite as excellent. The people who didn't push as hard. And we can't, we can't, let, can't let that one go. Uh, they, they work too hard. They do too much. We need to keep them around. You go home. <laughs> right? Spirit of excellence. Where are you not putting out a spirit of excellence in your life? How about when you study the Word of God? You putting out a spirit of excellence there? How about when you listen to the Word of God? Spirit of excellence? How about when you worship? Do you have worship time on your own? Does, well, does God, does God require me to have that? No. But He expects you to. Are you going to do that? See, there's, there's all kinds of areas you can develop the spirit of excellence on the inside of you. At your work, at your home. Don't just do what is required. Go over and above. Be excellent. Whatever it is that you do, be excellent at it. You know, we have ministries, different ministries. Different ministries have different requirements in them <clears throat> that you need to do. And then there's areas of, of, uh, uh, that you can excel on. You can do, do more than I mean, we talk about some of these things every once in a while, but, you know, Brother Jim, he comes here at, between 7.30 and 8 o'clock every morning. It's not that he has a, all that much stuff. He doesn't have an hour's worth of stuff to do. But if ever I have something that needs to extra done, well, Jim will be here. <laughs> and sure enough, Jim will pull up. And we can use, uh, use Jim in it. Jim comes over, he folds the bulletins and looks around, gets things done. And when he's done doing all that, if I come on over here, you know what I find Jim doing? He's reading. He's getting himself ready. Preparing himself. God's excellence. He doesn't have to be here at 7.30. But he comes on out. Well, Jim doesn't have to take care of anybody else. He doesn't have the kids. He doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But are you just getting by on the requirements? You're just getting by on the requirements. Or are you soaring to be excellent? Are you striving to be excellent? What do we do with that? Whole whole worship team. We need our worship team here by 9 o'clock each day. If everybody comes in at 9 o'clock, what do we have? A bunch of people making the requirement. We have people coming in here at 8.30, 8.45. What do we have? People striving for excellence. What group are you in? People ask me all the time, why in the world do you get here to church? Ask me, why, why did you get here to church so early? Do you have that much to do? I don't know how much I'll have to do. But I get there to find out. I want to be prayed up, studied up, ready. God wakes me up at 1 a.m. Well, may as well get up now. <laughs> Let's go. You've got to have that excellence that's, that's in there. You've got to have yourself ready. Worship team, we're, we're, we're pushing them to learn some new songs. If you don't listen to the new song before Thursday, is that excellence? That's not even a requirement, is it? But if you hit the requirement and you go on ahead of that and you listen to that song over and over and over and over, so that you're singing in your sleep, what are you striving for? Excellence. Is there a spirit of excellence in you? Are you striving for that? What do we do? Sunday school teachers. 
Is there a spirit of excellence in you? Do you come in on Sunday with everything ready to go? Have ushers. It is a pleasure to watch Bruce in the back before before Sunday and during the during the service. Bruce does not stop. He's always looking around. What else can we do? What else can we get going on? He's always finding something to do to keep things going, to keep things moving. I love that. I sometimes just like there, just want to watch him. You just find stuff to do and people to help and things to move and that's the spirit of excellence. That's what we need to do. You know, Brother Darrell runs the computer over there. Sometimes he, he gets so bothered by little little tiny mistakes that are up there on the screen, he has to fix them right away. That's excellence. It's excellence. This is what we need to strive for. Whatever it is that you do, Strive for excellence. You ever hear that? Remember that story was told by Brother Copeland when he was doing songs? He was doing the albums. And they were doing this one song and they kept doing it over and over and over and over and over and over. Just didn't get it right. Let's do it again. And one of the uh, players, uh, I think it was a bass player or something like that, uh, just said, said, oh, that's good enough for gospel music. <laughs> he never worked for Brother Copeland again. He didn't, he didn't do that. That's a... Uh, that's not going to cut it. You know, it depends on what we settle for. It depends on what we settle for. What are we ready to settle for? I think NASA is one of the uh, one of the most amazing organizations, even more so that it's government, because government does not function with great efficiency generally. It's generally a joke of that. But if NASA functions at an efficiency rate of 99.9%, they will tell you people will die. If NASA functions at an efficiency rate of 99.9% efficiency, people can die. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you've got to have a level of excellence, precision. They have a brain surgeon. How much precision? Well, you know, we're close. <laughs> Did you get it all? Well, we got pretty close to it, you know. What are you willing to put up with? You see, because if you continue to put up with less than excellence in your life, then you are practicing spirit of mediocrity. If you practice it, what, are we, what will you do? The thing that we have to do is when we are running the prison, when we are running the, the house as a slave, when we are in the place and people are ready to, to be killed because of the dream of the king, we have to to be excellent all the time. Those are our examples that we should look at. Don't be like the Sauls in the beginning of, of Abraham's life when they were put up with, ah, that's okay if we don't get that right. Strive to be excellent. Strive to be excellent. Because you can be as excellent as you want to be. And a lot of times, folks, the thing that's holding us back is we have not asked ourselves to be excellent. We have not pushed ourselves through. But you can do it. You can be excellent at your job. You can be better than anyone else. You don't have to, you don't have to beat them. Just be excellent. Because most people don't like working. Most people don't like to be excellent. Most people just want to show up and get the... Get the job done and as little as possible and then leave. But if you say, no, I'm going to do more than that. More than that. 
every time we walk to talk to one of our, our kids, unless they're a Christian, one of their employers, they always would tell them, tell us, oh, they just, they, they get so much done. They just work so hard. They're never loafing, always, a, always busy doing something. And every single employer they ever had loved to have them back because of the spirit of excellence. Be excellent in what you do for God. And understand that anything you do for people, you are doing for God. Even when you were serving in the house of Potiphar as a slave. Even when you're in the prison, serving the headmaster of the prison. Whatever you do, you're doing for God. Psalms tells us, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Look at your job. Look at your home. Look at your life. Whatever you do, make it excellent. Make it excellent. Be the best that you could possibly be. You don't have to beat other people. Just beat yourself. I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. I'm going to work harder today than I did yesterday. I'm going to establish that pattern. This is who I am going to be. Walk in love. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Pursue your calling. Employ your gifts, giftings. And be consistent. Folks, if you do this, God will find you. And he will put you in the place where you need to be. Here's the thing, folks. There's a lot of people who are not walking in their calling and never fulfill what it is that God wants them to do. And God is going to look around and say, who can we get to fill in for this one who decided not to pursue their calling? And if you're going around and you're being excellent at what it is that you do, God can simply say, tell you what, I need you over here. I need you over here. Because you're ready. Because you're excellent. I don't just mean do this for a week or two. Make this your life. Make it your life. Be excellent. Don't grumble about other people. Don't complain about other people. Walk in love. If you see a problem with other people, deal with them the way the Bible says. And walk in love to them. Correct them. But walk in love. And be excellent. Be someone that God says, hey, have you, have you noticed this one? Have you, have you seen what they're doing? Man, they're doing all right. What we got for them? We got a place we can put something like that? Oh, God will use you. God will get you ready. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you. It is a glorious thing to serve in your kingdom. It's a glorious thing to serve you. We desire to be excellent in all things. Excellent for you. Help us, Father, in the ministries that we have for you, whether it be on the worship team, whether it be a teacher in the Sunday school, whether it be an usher, someone in the helps ministry, whatever it might be, Father. Help us to be the most excellent we can be at it. We're called to be lights at our job. We want to be excellent at that. We're called to be good workers. We want to be excellent at that. We don't want to just settle for, I'm good enough. We want to follow what Daniel did, that an excellent spirit would be found in us, driven to excellence, driven to become the best 
that we can be. Father, I thank you that you help us at every turn to keep us mindful of the things we need to stay mindful of. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. We have some praise reports here this morning. And you know, last week we prayed for Susan because she was having a, uh, a phone call with her agent. And she said, the call with my agent went well. I'm very much encouraged. I was also able to write, at first I thought that only said 150, but you wrote 1,500 words yesterday on her new book. Hmm. Praise God. I'm getting work done. Um, Ethel has two here. She says um, she praises God for a dream that helped her to make a decision right away when a situation presented itself. She said, I was able um, to make the decision immediately without having to think about it and not waver over time. She said also her foot, which has been bothering her since November, is completely healed because she listened to what God told her to do about it. Um, This is from Mandy. She says, I'm so grateful for my God's love and for my husband's return home. (laughs) And that's what we have. I have one from us. Um, I had to... uh, I was getting a small job done at the house, and I had a list of people to choose from, and this one gentleman's name popped out. So I called him, and he came over, and here he's a retired Army vet, born-again believer. We had an awesome conversation yesterday, so I'm just glad for divine appointments that way. 